Hello, this is Unanimous Indecision. I'm Joshua Troop, and it is the best day of the week because it's Friday, which means we are talking Hawkeye Wheel of Time and Young Justice as we have been the past few weeks. And it's going pretty good. For those of you that's your first time listening to us, I just want to let you know the other ways you can find us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are sold for free. You can also join us live on twitch.tv slash unanimous indecision. You can on Twitch, hop in the live chat, share your thoughts and theories about whatever it is we're talking about, or steer the conversation in another direction. That's what it's all about, just growing the conversation, getting more people involved. Um, I will be spoiling all three of these shows uh, that, that premiered this week. And because um, this is the kind of conversation I, I like to have, uh, like it's the water cooler at work or lunch table at school, wherever you talk about movies and TV shows, uh, you just want to talk about every little detail, you know? Uh, so I think we normally start off with Young Justice. I, I immediately forgot what we start out with. Uh, Young Justice episode 11 which is approximately like the halfway point i forgot whether there's 22 or 24 episodes a season <clears throat> but we are getting to the somewhat conclusion of the zatanna arc uh and it's really interesting i think it's a really well done episode i think the ending is a little uh flat i guess but uh, but but leading up to it, it was really good. Um, so the first two episodes of the Zatanna arc, we learned all about the uh, the the I don't know what they're called, the elements of chaos. And in this one, we start to learn about the elements of order, uh, who Doctor Fate is a part of, and we learn a lot about Doctor Fate and. Zatanna goes back to her dad, to Dr. Fate, and they have a discussion about fighting these chaos entities, uh, trying to persuade him to join the fight. And it's not seeming very successful. And the bulk of the episode is him basically showing Zatanna that her students aren't even close to being ready. And while I do think he's right that they're not actually ready to, to fight something like this. Uh, he puts them all in their own like dreamscapes or whatever nightmare lands and has them all face their demons. Um, but, and, and like, it's really good. And a lot of it's like really intense and uh, very personal to each character. And I think that's done really well. Uh, but I do think it's a little weird because for Mary, who is a member of the Shazam family, formerly, I guess, uh, the whole reason she left the Shazam family, it's explained that she uh, kind of became obsessed with the power that Shazam granted. And so she she broke off her addiction and was trying to be a hero in different ways, namely in magic rather than through the powers of Shazam. And that was really interesting, but where the other two characters kind of face their demons and like, they come to the realization themselves. Uh, Mary just sort of relives a memory where Billy, Billy Batson, who is Shazam, uh, tells her that she's addicted to the power and she needs to break it off. Um, and so, like, it's kind of weird how the other two faced their demons and they kind of had to come through it, come out of it themselves. But Mary relives a memory that that she's already kind of come out of her demons. <laughs> she already knows the path forward. And, and I just thought that was a little weird and a little lacking. Uh, the other thing that I thought was really weird is after each one of them faces their demons, they explicitly say, I'm ready for this fight. And like, that's just really weird to me. It's not as cool as they, they, it probably looks on paper. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I thought it was really lame and uh, felt cheap. Uh, the nightmares themselves were pretty good. Um, I think 
uh, I can't remember the guy's name, uh, but he had like a pretty good ethical debate between religion and magic and helping people as a doctor, helping people as a sorcerer. And I, I was like, this is pretty, pretty intellectual debate. And like, that's a lot of conflict for him to try and decipher. And then the other girls was basically just like self-confidence. <laughs> that's kind of what it felt like. Um, I don't remember her from previous seasons, so I don't exactly remember who she is. Uh, but it, they made it seem like she knew Blue Beetle and Beast Boy and whatnot. And uh, I was like, cool, that's that's cool, I guess. Um, and yeah, but so ultimately they all proved themselves ready for this fight. And then turns out they took too long and the elements of chaos, one of them kills the other. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> that's kind of no, Nobu's fault, Dr. Fate's fault. Um, and now he's going to have to pay for it by fighting a much tougher element of chaos, a much more evil, much more passionate element of chaos that maybe he's not strong enough to handle, at least by himself is probably what it's going to reveal. Um, but there's a really cool inner dialogue between Dr. Fate and Zatanna's father, uh, that they have together in. Zatanna's father basically points out to him the whole point that makes order different than chaos is that order works much closer with people. They they trust people to understand their own problems better, whereas chaos seeks to manipulate people. And and so I was like, that's a that's a cool distinction to make. And like I thought it was a really valuable conversation to have, uh, even though it was just kind of a inner dialogue between himself. Um, and we get to see how the, the Dr. Fate came to be, which was really cool. <laughs> hey, I haven't seen it yet. I have not seen it yet. Anyways, uh, I see Boulder Doobies in the chat uh, talking about uh, a certain movie that came out this week. I see it tomorrow. So I will not be talking about it today, uh, which which is good. But I will be talking about it tomorrow. That that will be happening. Uh, I'll be talking about it tomorrow at some point at like I don't know two o'clock. Won't see it till Sunday. Yeah, it's pretty hard to get tickets. Also, holiday traveling. Got to be in the right place to see it. I get that. Um. Yeah, I was talking to some people about movie tickets and they were saying, hey, I might go today. And I was like, you might want to check your theaters first because <laughs> I doubt there's very many tickets available unless you're fine with sitting in the front two rows. I mean, the, those are usually available. But uh, if you want a better seat, you're probably going to have to buy your tickets a little earlier. I'm thinking it'll die down, though, probably by the middle of next week, maybe even early next week, and then pick back up during the holiday weekend. Um, but yeah, I think like Monday through Wednesday will probably be pretty normal as far as getting movie tickets should be easy, I would think. And then the probably the following week after that, after Christmas, uh it'll probably be easy again uh i guess i don't have that much more to say about young justice it was a weird episode had daytime shows yesterday those were wide open it was the evening shows that were sold out mm, yeah that's true i mean as people are still working um these last few days um of the year uh it might, might be easy to get a daytime show i didn't think about that um yeah my theater i'm seeing it at like 9 35 in the morning and i i thought that was the earliest show time at my theater and uh my theater just decided hey we're gonna make an even earlier showing because i guess that one started selling out too much and so now there's a 9 a.m show time i don't know if i've ever seen a 9 a.m show time at a movie theater uh, but then again, I've never seen a movie have a midnight premiere the day before at 3 p.m. 
So I spy Spider-Man's making new ground, <laughs> even if it's just at movie theaters and nothing else. Um, but I've heard good things and almost I've heard almost too many good things, needless to say. Um, and so what else happened in this Young Justice episode? It's just a lot of chaos versus order, whereas the first two episodes were very, of Zatanna's arc were very focused on chaos. Uh, I think these next two episodes will be more focused on order and probably give us a uh, loose conclusion to this story arc um, so that Dr. Fate and Zatanna can defeat this new element of chaos. That's, that's kind of where I feel like it's going. I have no idea what this season is trying to say. It's kind of just telling us different story arcs, which I'm there for a hundred percent. But the previous seasons have all kind of had season arcs except for season one, where I didn't know it had a season arc. And then at the end they were like, Hey, it's all connected. Um, And then season two was very obvious. And season three was very obvious. Uh, But this one, it's, it feels a lot like clone wars almost. It's very anthology driven. Uh, it's like four episodes to a character, uh, which is cool. Although they really do emphasize how depressed Beast Boy is, which I get it. At this point, I get it. We're at episode 11, and he's been depressed since episode four. Yeah, <laughs> Message received. Uh, but uh, yeah, and then to move on to uh, the Wheel of Time. The Wheel of Time, I can't stop thinking about for many reasons. Uh, And I'll say half of them positive and half of them not. I think it's a really good show. I I do. I think The Wheel of Time is a great show. (laughs) I don't know if it's The Wheel of Time anymore. And that's kind of the struggle. I'm really hoping that I said I was at least going to watch season one. Um. And they'll probably make at least a season two. But I think if I finish season one, I've got to stop. I've got to flip that switch and stop comparing it to the book. Because it is so far removed from the book. It it like, (laughs) they grabbed plot details and moved them in different orders. They made completely new characters. They gave characters different motivations. They explained things in fundamentally different ways. And it's it's just every time they do that, my immediate mind goes to where I heard it first, basically, which is the book. And I go, well, that's different than the book. And, and I always kind of ridiculed people for doing that with Harry Potter. Now, I do think there's a slight difference in Harry Potter. But now, yes, the Harry Potter books are better than the movies. Sure, whatever. I think the movies still work with neglecting information and changing information because (laughs) this might be a controversial opinion. The movies aren't really connected very tightly. They're not with the exception of the Horcruxes existing. The Harry Potter movies do not really tie into each other very closely. I mean, the Triwizard tournament is literally not mentioned in another movie. Like (laughs) it's not mentioned in another book it's it's only in four and that's it and it's never talked about again (laughs) um unless they talk about cedric like that's it um the chamber of secrets they never talk about again until book seven they just kind of ignore that that exists there forever um Prisoner of Azkaban, they kind of talk about the ramifications of what happened, but not so much. Uh, And and so there's just like a lot of the focus of each movie is just like never talked about again. And they're all loosely connected. And it works. It works for Harry Potter. But the Wheel of Time, things that are explained in the first book are sometimes not used until like the fourth book or the fifth book. Uh, which is like a really long payoff of information. And the show just sort of neglects foreshadowing that stuff, uh, which I think is a really weird choice. And 
you get the exact thing that happens in this episode when you neglect information. Uh, right out of the gate, out of episode one, um, I guess because Boulder Doobies is in the chat, I won't say what specifically it is, but there should have been something that happened in episode one that's in the book that makes it very clear who the Dragon Reborn is. It makes it very clear to us, the audience, hey, who the Dragon Reborn is. And they just sort of skipped over that. And so in my mind, because they skipped over it, then it didn't happen. In this episode, they decided to explain that that scene did happen, but they explained it in a flashback. And I was like, why didn't you just tell me when it actually happened? I, I always, there are very few flashbacks I actually like. Um, some movies do them really good. Some TV shows do them really good. But for the most part, a lot don't. I, I, do, I think flashbacks are a last minute <laughs> way to... Um, and that's the thing, I, I know that they're planned, but they, they sometimes feel like, especially in this, this is the pinnacle of a bad flashback, in my opinion. Is that you give us a whole previously on the Wheel of Time, and those are all flashbacks to previous episodes. And so when you give us a flashback to information that we probably should have gotten in the middle of episode one, and they just intentionally didn't tell us it to keep this mystery alive. I it feels just deceptive, intentionally deceptive. Like it's one thing for it to be like, oh well, the characters don't know, so you don't know. Like to me, that's a very rational thought. Like restricting the audience to what the characters know. That that's a very common practice, I think, and I think it's widely accepted. Um, and then there's knowing more than your characters. And that's where you get a lot of interesting tension. In this, the characters know more. One character in particular knows more than we do. And so when it, they tell it to us, hey, this is what he's been thinking about for the past seven episodes. It's like, why didn't you tell me that seven episodes ago? It feels like we're finally telling you this information because now it's important to you. Uh, and it's like, well, no, <laughs> I, I can determine whether it was important or not. Just tell me when it happens. And so I thought that was really frustrating for them to neglect that scene from episode one. Uh, since I think it's a big point of drama for one of our characters. And then what else happened? There was some really good stuff in this episode, though. Um, a lot of interesting character drama. Um, Nynaeve and Lan's relationship is a lot further along uh, than I would have expected. And I mean, like, sure. Okay, that's fine. They're, they're fun. I actually really like a lot of their dialogue together, uh, that they seem to have kept the tone that the book provides. Uh, even though they're much further along, they still have this kind of uh, this rapport of <laughs> never giving the other one any credit and just constantly discounting each other. And like it's it's very flirtatious and it's fun. It's fun to watch because they both know exactly what's happening. <laughs> uh, and then the the stuff with Matt, how Matt didn't go with them, and then Moraine hunts him down with the red Aja, like, I have no idea where that's going to go. I have no idea. That, that part is a whole new timeline, and it sounds kind of interesting, but part of me is like, Matt's getting gentled. There's no chance. Like, I don't know what that means. I don't know if a man can be removed from the one power if they'd never had access to it in the first place. And based on what happened, like he, he's going to get gentled unless actually I'm going to throw out a theory right here. Uh, I think Tom will come back and save him. We haven't seen him in several episodes, but I think Tom will come back and save him. Um, we also get they, they actually did do some foreshadowing in this episode, which my only comment is finally 
because it, it was a lot more prevalent throughout um, throughout the book. There I go, comparing it to the book again. Um, is the potential of Pot and Fane's return, which I think is really good. Uh, and that's... Um, if, if you were confused about the person following them through the ways, it, I'm pretty sure it's Pot and Fane. Uh, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty confident it's Pot and Fane, who is the one leading the Trolloc army and all sorts of stuff. Uh, or at least scouting ahead of them. Uh... The, the ways is really cool. I, I think the ways was done really well. Uh, it's pretty similar to the way I imagined it actually. Uh, so I, I'm very pleased with how it looks and the sounds in it, the intensity of things um, and the risk of survival, I guess. Um, the they we get introduced to a new future main character in this uh, Min. And it was a little weird to me because I'm pretty sure the first time we meet Min is in Camelin, which we never went to Camelin. So now we meet her in Faldara. And needless to say, that like whole interaction went very different than I ever imagined. Um, and half the visions that Min sees are different and it's, and they don't make a ton of sense. Uh, I think it's cool that we get to see. Um, it is a flashback that I think is good. And it's about uh, one of the characters' mothers basically giving birth to them. And uh, it, it's a scene that I think was was really necessary. But I actually think we should have gotten it in episode one. I think the show maybe should have started with it even. <laughs> and uh, I think that would have been a, a lot better rather than having this mystery of who's the dragon reborn, even though the dragon reborn knows who the dragon reborn is, but everyone else, including the audience doesn't, I think is a weird choice. Uh, Cause it means that like, I don't know. There's like, it's like third person omniscient, third person limited, but this is like third person arbitrarily limited, which I think is a weird choice. And it feels weird. If, like I said, it feels deceptive to the audience that they tell us basically certain characters, inner thoughts, more or less, and intentionally leave out someone else's. <laughs> like the I said, I can't lie, but the showrunners can. <laughs> uh, so that's really interesting. Also, it feels to me that like when they when they looked over book one, they said, "Hey, Perrin doesn't have a lot to do, and so um, we're gonna make Perrin uh, kind of just all about love, all about women." And so right out of the gate, they give her him a wife and things go down. And then we learn that he's in love with this other character and he doesn't discount it. So it seems very true. And so I don't know. It, it feels like Heron's only concern is like his only focus is about women, which I think is funny because we have yet to introduce. Which I mean, is normal. It's good that they're waiting on this, I think. Uh, but like he, he gets introduced to, um, a couple girls later that he's very fond of. And so I, I think it's really interesting that they're giving him different girls to be fond of. Uh, it, it's like, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot for a character, you know? Uh, but I don't even know how the book ends. I mean, maybe he does, I don't know but become a warder from one of, for one of the characters. I'm not too sure. That'd be cool. Um, yeah, and then only two people end up going to the eye of the world, at least as of right now. I don't know if the rest of the party will catch up to them uh, since they were abandoned. But... Uh, 
that's the other thing that's so interesting is I'm pretty sure they are all at the eye of the world in the book and like sure they were there was a possibility they were all gonna die but the dragon reborn protects everyone and it's wonderful um and they supposedly killed the dark one except there's 13 more books so riddle me that batman and in this they're very adamant that everyone will die again but now the fact that only two characters are going are they implying that that's actually true that everyone will die and the dragon reborn wouldn't be able to protect them since that's not what's going to happen uh i just think it's really interesting really interesting uh, i think that's pretty much the episode um i don't know yeah so i think tom is gonna come in time to save matt and he'll maybe take matt to camelin or something and that'll be the driving force to get us to camelin season two and then oh and that's also how tom will die potentially and then what else happens we've got so that's matt dragon reborn will you know becomes dragon reborn um the ice and i will go train in the white tower yeah i don't know I do not know. Um, see, I feel like they created the same but different problem with Perrin. Is that where does Perrin go from here? Where does he go from here? Like, <laughs> he, he, rather than giving him such like devout loyalty to Rand, which I feel like was probably the most descriptive thing you could have given given him out of the book it instead of giving him that he's in love with a character that he feels like he can't be with and and that's it that's and uh, otherwise he's depressed over accidentally killing his own wife and so like <laughs> why would he continue on this journey and i that the question hasn't been answered for me matt continues on this journey because he's constantly being hunted by one person or another um but parent i don't know rand oh, man that scene i actually think that scene is really bad <laughs> it the purpose of it is a good idea the purpose of it is a good idea you do need some sort of scene if this is where you're going to go with the story to have Rand like frustrated and uh, a lot of inner conflict of him neglecting uh, the truth and him eventually accepting it by the end of the episode. But it's weird to me. So the two rivers where all of these kids are from are like really good archers. They're like the best, best archers in the land. And he can't hit a target. He can't hit the bullseye of a target, maybe from 20 feet away. I feel like that's crazy. Because in the book, he hits things like 200 feet away. And it's nuts. And so if he's hitting things 200 feet away and can't hit a bullseye from 20 feet, I felt like that was really weird. And it wasn't until like... Oh, and that was the other thing. They rehashed like every scene we saw yeah i don't know it's something i really don't like it really rubs me the wrong way um from a storytelling perspective that that they just openly deceive us um about that scene that's left out in episode one but then they show us all these other flashbacks throughout that have been throughout the show of the one power being used and we just weren't shown it like that graphic wasn't rendered you know like it's not like he the character was hiding it and it was it was like invisible to everyone no other characters would have seen it if they would have looked for it and that's the thing is that they literally just chose not to render 
the one power being used so that the audience, the viewer, wouldn't know. And it feels very deceptive from that perspective. And it's it's a little frustrating to want to watch something that is so openly deceptive. Uh, because it's one thing if a character lies to me. You know, if a character lies to me, okay, that's the character. It's another thing if the showrunner lies to me. The showrunner is going to be the one telling me the next piece of the story. Why should I trust this bit, you know, when they're openly lying to me? So it's very weird. This episode felt very much like, hey, now you need this information, so we'll tell it to you now uh, because we've been holding it from you for so long. And it's like, no, you should have foreshadowed all of this leading up to this moment, and you didn't. Good for you. So, yeah. And then that's it, actually, that I have to say about this Wheel of Time episode. Um, I still think it's pretty good. Um, like I said, it's just not the Wheel of Time I'm familiar with, and I'm not very familiar with it. Uh, but I think it's fun. It's certainly fun to talk about. Uh, it's really interesting. Uh, it's even interesting to talk about the similarities and differences. I think that's fun. Definitely worth a watch. And then uh, before I move on to Hawkeye, I just want to remind everyone to rate, review, subscribe, follow wherever you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, twitch.tv, slash unanimous indecision. Uh, really appreciate it. It helps me get some feedback. also helps grow the channel, grow the conversation. Uh, and it helps other people find it, which doubly grows the conversation. So, uh, yeah, that would be much appreciated. Uh, we also do two shows here. Uh, one is this show every Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern time, where we talk some nerdy TV shows these past few weeks, and including this week and next week, we are talking Hawkeye, Young Justice, and The Wheel of Time. But we will be talking in the future. Book of Boba Fett, I know, is on the docket. Um, I think that's the next one on the, on the immediate docket. I don't know what other shows are coming out. Uh, so, yeah, Book of Boba Fett, we'll do that when that premieres. And other than that, uh, I actually can't think of anything other than that. Just kidding. Uh, we The other show is Wednesdays, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. We, uh, on that show, we do uh, kind of a movie of the week, typically a new movie. We review it and then uh, talk this past week's movie news. So that should be fun. Uh, because it's Spider-Man No Way Home, and obviously there's a lot of hype about that, I kind of want to get that review out there as quick as possible uh, because I'm going to want to talk about it right away. Uh, so we're going to do next week's episode on Saturday. I don't know when I'll upload it to the podcast, maybe Monday, uh, to give it just a little bit more time. But uh, yeah, we'll be doing that. So next week's movie is Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, and I have no idea what the movie news looks like, but that's that. Now to talk Hawkeye. This episode reinforced for me what I've been saying. That this show is a vessel. It's a vessel to introduce new characters, to uh, show us, I guess, at least one character who has just been established, but to show how they might move forward in the MCU. Um, because this episode starts with a flashback. And it's very reminiscent of last week's flashback. <laughs> last week's flashback started and it the episode started with flashback and it was all about Maya, who is Echo, uh, who is the seeming villain of the show. But she's not the villain. She's just this antagonist that wants revenge. And then... This episode, it begins, and we get a flashback about Yelena. That's right, Yelena from Black Widow. She's showing up in full force. She's very present in this episode. And we get a flashback about her, about her basically just before uh, Thanos, and then right after, five years later. And uh, they do a really weird graphic. Uh, 
I, I can't decide whether it looks cool or it doesn't make any sense. Because <laughs> I do think it looks cool, but it doesn't make any sense in the context of what is happening. Um, we meet a co couple other widows and see that Yelena was trying to continue the work that she left to do uh, at the end of Black Widow, which was free more widows. Um, and then it even continues with her um, meeting Valentina. I don't remember her name. <laughs> Valentina. I feel like there's another name in there, but Allegra de Fontaine. I think there's a fifth, fourth name, fifth name. And I feel like it starts with a C, but I can't think of it. And uh, she meets with her. And this is the Black Widow in credit scene where she gets her mission to go kill Clint Barton, Hawkeye. And a lot of things happen basically revolving around that point. Um, she has a conversation with Kate Bishop in a very friendly way, which I think is a little weird. Because, like, I don't know. If she really thinks Hawkeye is her enemy, then shouldn't Hawkeye's associates be her enemy to a certain degree? And Kate Bishop is dressed up like Hawkeye, wielding a bow like Hawkeye, and is in the same place as Hawkeye. Why? What's going on here, you know? I mean, I'm still miffed that she doesn't kill him in the last episode, in episode four. She has an open shot. It's very easy to do. She could have she could have killed him. She even points out that Kate Bishop uh, might have had her bow drawn, but it wouldn't have killed her, you know? <laughs> um, it's very funny. Again, I mean, it's a funny show. It's a funny show. It, it, as far as comedy, it does comedy very well. As far as stakes, I'm still not feeling them, even though um we get introduced to who the big guy is and no it's not the hulk um and we learn a lot of things we learn uh who hired clint in the first place as ronin to go uh kill the leader of the tracksuits to kill maya's father we learn who hired yelena to kill clint and it turns out it's all going upwards. Uh, so Kate Bishop's mom hired Yelena through the kingpin to kill Clint. And then Clint worked for the kingpin to kill Maya's father. And the kingpin would be the person that Maya's uncle... I don't think they're actually blood related, but Maya's uncle that we got in that flashback. And so the Kingpin very much responsible for the events that are happening in this show. Although it doesn't really feel like it. <laughs> uh, he's kind of just letting all the pieces on the table play out. Uh, so we only have one episode left. And I think the Kingpin could show up, but I also don't think he will be the main focus. I don't know. Like he should be the main focus a hundred percent. But I don't think he's going to be the main focus. What the way I feel like this show is going, I feel like this show is setting things up in such a way that they will not be resolved next episode. Instead, they'll maybe be resolved in the Echoes show, which will kind of be like a sequel series to this, uh, where I'm sure you'll probably have Kate, Yelena, and oh. and uh, Maya all working together to take down Kingpin in that show. Uh but again, things do become really interesting and certainly th theory crafting. Um, Yelena was hired by Valentina. Valentina also recruited U.S. agent. 
does that mean Valentina works for Kingpin? Or maybe they just had a, a connection um, in this one instance to have Yelena do something for the Kingpin? But... Yeah, yeah, I wonder if... Oh, it's Contessa, isn't it? Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine? Is that what her name is? Uh, yeah, like, does U.S. Agent and Yelena work for her? And does she work for Kingpin? Or do they work for her and she sometimes works with Kingpin? That's what I'm curious about. I'm kind of hoping it's a separate entity thing so that we do get this kind of Leviathan conspiracy, kind of very reminiscent of the Hydra stuff, uh, as a separate thing from Kingpin rather than the same thing. Uh, but even if they are connected, I mean, I guess one day they could be like, yep, she was working for Kingpin, but also this undercover operative of the secret organization, and they were just using Kingpin because they had mutual goals. Like, that could be fun, too. Um, uh, but, yeah, I don't feel like Clint is going to die by the end of this episode, despite a lot of people wanting to kill him. Uh, it also makes sense that Kingpin would want to kill him, given that uh, Hawkeye as Ronan probably killed a lot of people uh, and was given direction by Kingpin, so... Yeah, Hawkeye like knows a lot about Kingpin's growing criminal enterprise. And uh, so Kingpin will want to get him out of the way. Uh, I think he'll wear the new costume that we have yet to see in the final episode. They, they really made that a TV show ending that, hey, we make a new costume and we don't reveal it till the final episode. And I feel like if you give someone a new costume in a final episode and they don't die, they should come back in future products. So I really hope this isn't Clint Barton's last venture in the MCU. And then uh, we learned that it was Kate Bishop's mom that uh, basically hired Yelena to kill Clint. Uh, but you let Kate Bishop's mom was talking to the Kingpin and the King, it was probably through the Kingpin that uh, Contessa was reached. And then to Yelena being hired for the job. And it's very personal. Uh, and so like from that, that sort of complicated stuff, I think is really good. But yeah, it, it's weird that you would have such a comedic thing going on and sorry I had to yawn and the kingpins behind it like kingpin stories are typically very serious um but spider-man has been known to crack a joke or two when it comes to the kingpin uh i mean they lovingly call him the fat man in the comics so <laughs> and uh, one thing I will say that I think is funny, but I also think it's really bad. Um, especially since they kind of are tonally similar characters, which is uh, Peter Parker and Kate Bishop. Kate Bishop gets a scene in this episode where she's constantly calling Clint um, and she uh, fills his voicemail with messages and it's very similar to Peter Parker constantly calling, texting uh, Happy Hogan about all the updates and whatnot. And it's very similar, and sure, it's funny, but it's like, okay, you've done it twice now. If we see this a third time, it's not going to be funny. It's just going to be lame. And uh, it goes to, like, Clint saying... Uh, it's not fair that you act like a kid just to get what you want and it works. Uh, he's right. They, these people need to grow up. They're going to be heroes. It's okay for them to make jokes, but they, they do need to be responsible on their own. 
you know they need to be their own people they need to be responsible on their own uh if they're going to be heroes otherwise they're sidekicks that's the difference right uh so it's it's very interesting uh, i think the big bad of the series i don't think it's going to be kingpin like i was saying it's either going to be her mom but i do think there's one last way that they could still uh redeem the mom is that she's like uh, uh her her daughter's Kate's been obsessed with Hawkeye forever and kind of created a hero complex because of it. And so from that perspective, it does kind of make sense that she may want to kill Hawkeye to discourage her daughter from putting her life on the line every day as a hero or whatever. And so that's kind of like a redeeming quality that like, yeah, she was just trying to kill Hawkeye out of love to protect her daughter from going down this uh, tumultuous, tumultuous hero path. And on the other hand, it doesn't necessarily feel that way. It is funny, though, that Jack is probably innocent, just straight up. <laughs> when he was such a sketchy guy and dude, there were so much sketchy things about him and he maybe just turns out to be innocent and her mom this is why i don't necessarily think it's so uh so peaceful with her mom is that i think her mom probably framed jack in every way and so yeah, probably not a good person, you know? And then, oh my gosh, I'm yawning so much. Let me get some water. And Hawkeye, uh, and so like her hiring Yelena probably through the kingpin it makes you wonder if she knows the Kingpin a little bit closer. Like what's the relationship? Is she running a crime organization? That'd be interesting. That's Kingpin's using her resources or she has a security company. Is that going to be a big deal? That partnership. And then, um, so I really think it's going to be like her mom is the big bad, which her mom has yet to fight anyone. So I don't necessarily think she will be up to the task if the ending ends up being a fight. Uh, the other person I'm thinking about where it could be a fight to a small degree maybe is Kazi, the number two in the tracksuits. Uh, I think he's partially responsible Uh I think he went in the same way that Kate's mom went to Kingpin to get Hawkeye killed. I think Kazi went to Kingpin to get uh, Maya's father killed so that he would become the number one in the tracksuit mafia. Uh, but it went to the guy's daughter and he realized that Maya is actually like a pretty good person. So he decided not to, uh, harm her and he was content with that or whatever uh, so I think that deception is going to get realized and Maya is going to turn on him uh, so Maya will have to face her number two her, her first lieutenant uh, Kate will have to face her mother and Clint, I guess, will have to face Yelena, who, like, <laughs> Yelena definitely doesn't know. I, I feel like Clint would just be able to say, like, do you think I, I wanted this to happen? I tried to be the one to die, but Natasha beat me to it or something like that, like, I couldn't stop her. This Natasha we're talking about, she she wasn't stoppable. She was the best. And 
just something like that. And then that's kind of done. And now we've got a, an antagonist for all of our characters that Kazi is the antagonist for Maya, uh, Kate's mom, the antagonist for Kate, and then Yelena and Clint are each other's antagonists, but we'll both come out of it stronger probably because they'll be able to mourn together. Um, and maybe Hawkeye will make it home in time for Christmas. It certainly doesn't feel like he will, but uh, yeah, maybe, hopefully, you know, I care about that family. <laughs> and, but yeah, so that doesn't really leave a whole lot of room for Kingpin to really show up. Uh, he could be in an in credit scene. I'll say that. Maybe he's in an in credit scene. Uh, yeah, that's Hawkeye. Uh, I will say I was very pleased with, uh, Kingpin showing, not showing up, but in an image, Vincent D'Onofrio's back. We recently talked about Charlie Cox coming back as Daredevil. Vincent D'Onofrio's back as Kingpin. So these are wonderful things. I have a feeling that John Bernthal as Punisher will be confirmed shortly. Uh, or he'll just show up somewhere, which would also be wonderful. Hopefully it's not a total comedy that he shows up. Uh, would be fun for him and Spider-Man to interact. I think everybody wants that to happen. Oh, what if that's Spider-Man 4? What if... Because they were saying that the any next Spider-Man movie they make would be tonally different putting Punisher in that movie would be a totally different movie or Craven. Yeah. Like, but Punisher, that's a totally different movie. You could have like Craven hunting Spider-Man and Punisher hunting Craven, but using Spider-Man as bait and Oh man, there, there's a lot of potential there. So I don't know. I think, Hawkeye is the only MCU property that almost feels like a sitcom. And and it's funny because WandaVision like actually is a sitcom. But WandaVision felt like it had more to say. Uh Hawkeye feels like it's saying very like minor things. Uh it's nothing too crazy other than like, oh, Kate has to face her mom. Uh, Maya has to face her number two lieutenant. Clint has to face something that he already feels guilty about. Like, <laughs> it's not like he didn't feel guilty about Natasha's death. He, I'm sure he feels guilty about it. But, you know, like, he can't do anything about it. So why, why constantly berate yourself? Uh, so I'm excited for the final episode. I don't think Kingpin's going to show up prevalently, maybe in an end credit scene, which is unfortunate. But like I said, he'll probably be a bigger antagonist in the Echoes show, which will kind of be a sequel series uh, to this series, in my opinion. Nothing's confirmed yet, though. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up here. Don't forget, Spider-Man No Way Home is next week's movie review, uh, which we will be live on Twitch talking about at some point tomorrow afternoon. And then next Friday, we'll be right back here talking Hawkeye, Wheel of Time, and Young Justice should be good. Both Wheel of Time and Hawkeye are finishing up, so there may be a bit more to say about those shows next week. Uh, I'm Joshua Troop. This is Unanimous Indecision. We'll catch you next time.